Hello! Welcome to the Mind Buffs Podcast. I am your host, Matt Demoisak, sport and performance psychologist here at Mind Buffs. Today, we're going to be following up on a conversation that we had last episode when Kayla and I talked about the difference between discomfort and insecurity. And what we realized after we were kind of debriefing the conversation and kind of going over some of the notes that we had is that we were dancing around the core theory that was really at the heart of this, which is actually called locus of control. And so I'm going to hand it over to my co-host today, Kayla, and she's kind of get us started by just kind of talking about what that is and and where we're going to go with the rest of the episode today. So locus of control is that extent to which you feel that you have control or impact over the events in your life and how much your behavior determines what is controllable or what is not. So when we think about internal and external locus of control, we want to think about these on a continuum or a spectrum. I know a lot of the times we think about them in black and white, maybe calling myself out. (laughs) Um, But internal locus of control is that we have direct consequence over our behavior versus that external locus of control is that we are attributing it to factors outside of ourselves. Totally. Now, yeah, there's going to be situations where we can relieve ourselves of the belief that we have control. And that is the healthy mindset to have because we need to be okay with outcomes that genuinely are outside of our control. But what's not healthy is believing that there's nothing that we can do no matter what, because everything that happens to us is because of things that are outside of our control. And so this theory really looks at, um, to kind of understand it maybe more simplistically at something like resilience, right? Resilience is kind of the ability to be able to respond to stressful, um, Uh, or unforeseen situations. And so our level and strength of resiliency is going to be completely related to our perception of self in terms of whether we have an internal locus of control or that external locus of control. And we're going to need like several episodes to really dive into like all the ways in which our day-to-day life is impacted by where we are on this spectrum. Um, but we want to just try to provide as much like context as we can today uh, for uh, you listeners to kind of understand what this theory is so that as we dive into all the different corners that live within this theory, you can begin to connect it to your own kind of day-to-day lived experience. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I want to highlight through the research um, that we've been looking at is that with this spectrum, it's helpful to be at different places on the spectrum at different points in different environments. Mm-hmm. So not just saying, how can I shift my locus of control strictly internally? That's not always going to be the healthiest method no. or the most successful method. Right. It's it can be easy to rationalize that, well, if I believe that there's always something that I can do no matter what, and I just need to rely on myself to be able to figure a way out, what over-reliance on your internal locus of control might shut people out. It might make other people around you feel like you don't need them. Something that I had to learn the hard way early in my marriage, um, that as being a uh, the husband in the relationship, you know, society told me that I need to be the rock. I need to be consistent and calm and collected and be the same all the time. But my self-reliance, my confidence in myself, my ability to be able to handle stress year over year over year, it made my wife question whether or not I 
saw value in her, that I needed her because I never was asking her for help or telling her that I was experiencing stress. So that's no bueno either. We don't want to be fully self-reliant. That is actually, there's nothing in the research to support that that is a more effective or efficient pathway to success or performance. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when we have a very, on that spectrum, closer to that internal locus of control, you can get the flip switch, Mm -hmm. right? Of now I'm completely internal and I'm totally self-sufficient, but when all of the resources that I've had or used are no longer effective, well, then I'm just going to go into complete safety and go to everything is outside of my control. <laughs> I have, there's nothing I can do to manage this situation. 100%. Um, sometimes when you when you think about that dramatic friend or family member, and if you can't think of that person, it's probably you. When we use these statements of the sky is falling, there's nothing that I can do. This is completely fucked. It's never going to improve. Whenever you hear those big dramatic statements like that, that is 1000% that external locus of control speaking through you and telling you and everyone else that you are utterly helpless and hopeless. Well, and if you think about it as like a road trip, you're on this bus and you're stopping at all of these different internal locus of control strategies that you have in your back pocket. You have thousands and now you're to bus stop thousand and one. And that's literally just complete give up. Right. (laughs) And the reason that we do that is it's a self-protective mechanism. We need to place blame somewhere. And if it can't be internal, then it has to be external. hundred percent. So when we look at uh, the literature in terms of understanding what causes a more of a predominant external of low locus of control mindset. It's go figure family of origin, mom and dad. Thank you. We have to look at the environment that we grew up in. Sometimes it's directly from um, our guardians and sometimes it's actually just from like early school experiences, but those early relationships really form the strength in either direction of either internal and external locus of control. Mm -hmm. So if we think about that typical parent-child relationship and we imagine a parent that fosters a child that has independence, sends them off on their way, but is there to support them, secure attachment that we've talked about before, Mm -hmm. um, that creates this sense of internal locus of control. Mm -hmm. I have control over my behaviors and my outcome to some extent. Totally. When we think about the opposite side, our helicopter parents, the ones that are constantly dipping in, saving, fixing at any given point that teaches us that, you know, that external locus of control, there's nothing that I can do in these situations. It's completely up to other people and other things. 100%. So when we look at a lot of the the research that looks at the relationship between attachment theory, um, which uh, is kind of the way that we perceive ourselves in relationship to others based on how our parents have raised us. Again, that's a whole other conversation, but it completely determines our belief in ourselves depending on how our parents raise us. And so the research specifically looks at, in a lot of these studies, if a child grew up in an abusive home or they were mistreated or maltreated, that when there are more of those like bigger trauma environments, more of those obvious situations that would clearly cause a brain to have to adapt in like negative ways. Sometimes we don't put that helicopter parenting in that same category. And so I know there's lots of like parents um, either you know of or, or maybe this is a call out on, on yourself today that, yeah, but I, I love my son or my daughter so much. Like I, I tell them I love them all the time. I'm always there for them. I'm always supportive. 
there's a fine line between being that parent where your child knows they can come to you whenever they need help. And when you are proactively giving help that they haven't necessarily asked for, and that can create an external locus of control as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the other piece about the childhood experiences and the research has shown us is that children that experience things as they do in childhood and get rewarded for them, not on a every single time I do something, I get rewarded. Ice cream every time you say yes to mommy. <laughs> yeah, that's not healthy either. Um, but when they get rewarded for that hard work or whatever it is, that internal locus of control is like, okay, I did this. Mm. I created this environment, mm-hmm. right? But for many different reasons, and I'm sure Matt will dive into some of them, <laughs> is that when we have difficulty succeeding, not due to the fact that we aren't putting our best efforts in, we have, but we haven't succeeded. Mm-hmm. That creates the external mentality of like, well, it can't be me. 100%. And so this is where from like an evolutionary psychology perspective, this is why we're even capable of developing an external locus of control because our brain is a super powered, highly effective and efficient machine. And so if we're trying to learn a new behavior or a new task and it ain't working, no matter what we do, it's just not happening. Well, our brain's going to see that, okay, well, this is not possible or this doesn't make sense for us. So we need to develop a sense of like helplessness or hopelessness to this task so that we stop banging our head against the wall thinking that we can achieve it. Let's move on to something else. So in an adaptive way, that's why in certain contexts, we have to be able to have that kind of experience. But if we... experience too many of those situations where we're not given enough time to be able to learn a skill. We aren't given the opportunity to make the mistakes to learn that we can still succeed beyond that. We are developing external locus of control, that helpless, hopeless type of feeling way too frequently and way too early. And that is what we try to avoid as parents, as coaches, as bosses, is we don't want to create environments where they're either feeling like they can't do it themselves or that they have to rely on other people to achieve whatever that outcome is. Yeah, it's that default network, right? Of we don't want that locus of control externally to be our our default network that we're constantly sitting in, right? We want it to be able to be a gear that we can shift into should the environment or the situation be necessary. Um, But we want to be able to kind of manipulate and control where that is at any given point. One of the, uh, the most common first sessions that we get when we're working with kind of like nine to 14 year old clients is we'll have like mom or dad or both come in and uh, the parents will come in and they'll talk about how, you know, little Susie has been super defiant or little Johnny just doesn't seem to do any of the things that we're asking them to do. And obviously there's a point where it can become disrespectful or, or whatever, but between the ages of like nine or 10 to 14, we know that developmentally, this is where the human person is trying to develop internal locus of control. We know that when from like zero to eight or zero to nine, we have to rely on our parents. We have to rely on our guardians, our caregivers to like keep us alive, keep us fed, um, educate us, um, train us, show us all these new cool tricks and skills in life. But in that time period from like nine to 14, the human brain is desperate to attain autonomy, desperate to attain the belief that like, hey, like I can do these adult things too. And so we can't prevent our 
kids or prevent our students or athletes from developing these things. We might unknowingly be doing that. And I think it's looking at it almost as an experiment for those 10 to 14 year olds. And like, where do I want to be on that spectrum? And sometimes you're right. They may go too far to that internal locus of control of, I don't need anyone or anything Mm -hmm. or there's nothing that can help me, but me. Right. (laughs) But then you just get to watch them crash and burn. And then they come to you being like, I need help. Perfect. They now know what their limit is and hopefully they can see that coming sooner. And then they ask you or like a friend for help, but we have to let them find that tipping point on their own. We cannot rescue them from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or else that, that rescue becomes like a consistent life life saving that you have to provide them. Right. Completely. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so there's a lot of actually theories that <laughs> they're actually opposing to one another in in the research. And so this goes to show that like we're still trying to understand all of the different things that kind of create the environment or cause um, like external locus of control. But um, yeah, Kayla has a, a couple funny theories that are in direct opposition to one another. But we can see that situationally, perhaps one theory is more appropriate depending on kind of that situation. So one of the theories looks at the fact that when we get to these 10 to 14 year olds, in theory, our locus of control should shift internally for the rest of our life. And we become a little bit more based in that internal locus of control. One of the theories is looking at the fact that because our society has become more individualistic, we're more focused on the I, the me, what, what affects me, is that we as a society become this more internal process of what can I do to change the situation? Right. The flip theory of that looks at because we are a more individualistic society, mm. that when things don't necessarily go my way, people are more likely to attribute the positives to self and the negatives to the environment, mostly because they don't spend a lot of time living in a collectivist society where they can see the other influences that people and things and environments have over them. Mm -hmm. So it's a very interesting. Yeah. So that theory actually plays on uh, on another concept called the actor observer effect, and this is where if we become like too indulged in our own perception of ourself and the world, we literally believe that all the good things happen because I am the master of my own destiny and I make it so. And whenever the bad things happen, oh, that that wasn't me. Someone else caused that, or you know, I only made that mistake because you know someone else made me do it. We all know how annoying that person is in our life, and so. This theory actually attributes that the overexpression of individuality actually leads to experiencing more external locus of control because we've just built these super high walls around like our own individual like ecosystem. Whereas we know that humans thrive when that that individual identity is a, a part of a whole, a part of that collectivist or that that communal identity. So in one way, when we think that we're actually pursuing internal locus of control, we're actually developing more opportunities to experience the opposite. So I thought that was like a really interesting theory. And the other theory is actually, um, it sounds like it's kind of the opposite um, of that one. Mm-hmm. And I think the consensus from most of the research is there's no consensus, <laughs> is that locus of control should go more internal through a period of time, but yet changes with environments. But now we're seeing more elderly people have an external locus of control. So it's just a mishmash of data right now. 
Yeah. So the reason why we wanted to share like some of that research that's clearly um, coming from completely different perspectives is that like so much when it comes to being human and, and psychology, depending on the time, the place, and the situation, different things can cause one to experience life in a more like positive or negative way. I know that that's kind of a broad kind of statement, but um, we really need to just be mindful of when it's beneficial to feel like we have what it takes to get through a situation, difficult, stressful, uncertain, and when we need to not necessarily fully rely, but that we can depend on other people to assist us in being able to get through like difficult times. Um, individualism has a cost if it's something that we think that we need to have in every situation that we go through. Mm-hmm. And I think it's hard to not look at this theory, the locus of control is like internal good, external bad, exactly. right? A lot of the literature states that internal locus of control directly affects your motivation, other people's perception of your personality and your likability, mm-hmm. your success at work, your attitude, your physical and psychological well-being are all connected to an internal locus of control. Mm-hmm. But when we can't see where we are on that spectrum at yeah. any given point and know when we need to change, that's when it becomes problematic. Totally. <laughs> so I'm totally going to out myself on one of my biggest weaknesses uh, right now. But uh, when we were talking about, um, you know, what what's a really good example of shifting from like internal to external locus of control? So for the most part, like I have a very high internal locus of control. Like um, it's why I think also being an entrepreneur is so exciting for me because I like to kind of be thrown into unknown situations and try and figure it out. Um, I get a really significant high and buzz from you know finding a solution or a way forward in those kinds of situations. <laughs> but if I am too eagerly awaiting a particular outcome, Maybe that is the most perfect date night in the entire world with my wife or this big vacation that we've been planning for six months that I've been like planning my mental, physical, emotional rest upon that vacation. If all of a sudden, I don't know, a wildfire happens and we can no longer go to said destination, I feel like the sky is falling. All hope is lost nothing's good in the world. My whole week is fucked. I'm going to be home all week doing nothing. I'm not going to be able to rest or enjoy any of it. These are <laughs> these are actually the things that I say. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Oh, and so Holly, my wife, is very quick to, to point out whenever I am fully living in that external locus of control because I, for some reason, my switch so quickly can go from internal to external. If I put this moment, this day, this experience on a high pedestal. And then, you know, life happens. If that goes away, it's like, I have no idea how to handle that situation. And I think that brings it back to the point that we were talking about earlier is like internal good, external bad. No, Mm -hmm. that's not the case, right? When we cannot see the importance of living in the gray area, Mm -hmm. that's when you get a map moment and you become super dramatic, right? Um, another like good example of where I think most people would experience unhelpful levels of external locus of control is whenever we're studying for a big test, right? This is every human being has to do this at some point in their life. Um, and so recently uh, I, I passed my final licensing exam um, earlier in the spring. It's called the EPPP. It's one of those monster tests, you know, 200 and 25 questions over 
12 different major content areas that we'll never, ever have to touch or look at in my career, but to kind of have that knowledge base going into the exam, like your bar exam as a lawyer, for example. And it was the most difficult thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. I never enjoyed being a student, that type of you know, the education system, that kind of learning environment was something that was always a bit difficult for me. And so it took me years to even muster up the motivation to study as much as I needed for this test, because I had to combat too many of these external locus of control thoughts and feelings of like, this test is rigged. It's like actively testing my biggest weaknesses. I am awful at multiple choice questions. Is there any way I can get accommodations to be able to like do this orally or um, in a written format? And so rather than first responding with like, okay, well, this is the situation. What can I do to adapt to this so that even if it is my weakness, I can improve on that or find a way to utilize more of my strengths it would be difficult to build momentum because my brain too quickly would go to that negative external locus of of control place. And again, Kayla and everyone in the office can attest to the emotional roller coaster that I was going through <laughs> trying to pass this beast. <laughs> She's nodding her head, eyes wide open looking at me. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I wanted to highlight as well is you can kind of be on this spectrum and it applies to a lot of different areas of your life, but some people only experience internal versus external in different environments. Um, and they might be surprises to you. And when you think about yourself in relation to where you are, if you're typically internal or typically external, but there's a surprise moment that always relates to a different spot on the spectrum, get curious about it and try to understand why. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, like, probably of anyone on our team here at, at MindBuffs, like Kayla is really steady, really consistent, and has a very like healthy, strong level of internal locus of control. But there is like only one area in her life where if the situation and the environment is perfectly placed, she also swings so hard in the other direction. And I know, Kayla, you were wanting to share some of that experience today. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that can relate to this idea, but it's the idea of safety. So if you've never met me, I'm not very tall. <laughs> I'm quite short. I'm mighty, but I'm short. Um, and when safety is in question, specifically when I'm alone, mm -hmm. at home, by myself, as a female, that internal locus of control is out the window. The doors can be locked. The alarm can be on. I can have all my safety mechanisms in place, but there is nothing that convinced me that everything is external to what I can do. Yeah. It kind of shifts into this belief that like, I'm no longer in control of my safety, right? So for Kayla, it's like this feeling of if there is someone else around me, I am safe. So that's actually a really good example of external locus of control is like someone else needs to be here present doing the thing for me to feel okay and in just this one particular situation for you kayla it sounds like when it comes to safety your mind has really attributed safety to there being another human especially a trusted like your husband or a family member there for you to kind of feel that way mm -hmm. and i don't know where that comes from i think there can be some exploration there but i think that that is definitely a strong feeling that a lot of females that i have talked definitely. to have yeah. Right. Creating this environment of having others around me equals safety. Mm -hmm. I can't do that for myself. It's not something that I can ever achieve. Yeah. 
whether yeah whether you're a guy or a girl like it doesn't matter um but this example i think is really relatable to a lot of um, people who are living like with their partner in the sense that like that first night when your partner is no longer there I think for most people it's it's kind of a tough night it's it's weird to adapt to your nervous system is kind of on edge a little bit it knows that like something's different something's not quite right and uh for a lot of us it can also kind of be this feeling of like oh i don't quite feel like a, a safe like i feel like something's missing i'm vigilant my brain is thinking a lot i'm having big feelings i'm creating wonderful creative what if scenarios of the killer that's going to walk into my house and, and, and try to hurt me and so we build a sense of safety in community as well. And so when all of a sudden all of that is gone, your brain will question whether or not I have the ability to be okay when I'm on my own. And, and it sounds like that's kind of your, your experience. Which I think talks to when there's sudden shifts in anything, mm. environment, someone being around and now they're not around, you can expect that there's a possibility that your locus of control is going to shift too. Totally. Changes at work. Right. Yeah. You know, if someone gets hired, someone gets fired, there can be changes in, in in locus of control there. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where, like, as athletes, like this is being put into question all the time. Um, there are a lot of different theories that we could use to kind of talk about this. But when you think about those momentum shifts, what is that? Like it's not a physical thing. It's it's like this ethereal thing. It's this mysterious thing. We know what it is. We know what it feels like when we're in it and we have a name for it, but like what actually is it? And you can easily slide in the locus of control theory to explain momentum shift. That team belief that like we can do anything, that we are in control of our destiny, that we can get the outcome that we want, like that full belief in self and in team, you're unstoppable. Like those are the teams that win championships that have this communal sense of like internal locus of control. But all of a sudden when like you're down a point, when you're down a goal, when you've like missed a wide open net or a wide open shot, we tend to lose that confidence and momentum shifts in the other direction because we're like, oh, wow, I guess I just can't make a basket today. I guess like we're just going to get scored on. I guess like I can't really trust like my goaltender to like stop the puck. And I think that's where we can bring the title of our series language yeah, yeah. back into this is pay attention to your and your teammates language mm. in those moments. What are they saying? Well, he stepped out in front of me and fouled me. So that that's why that was a bad throw Yeah, or that was, that's why that shot didn't go in. Yeah. Right. And so when we can start to pay attention to the language that we're using to attribute what's happening to self or others, we can see where everybody on our team is at and assess, okay, what do we need to do in order to maybe bring this back within ourselves? Totally. And it also just shows how almost contagious it is if you have like an unmanaged external locus of control, if you're really verbalizing your external locus of control beyond the point uh, where you're at least telling people that you're feeling helpless or hopeless, that yeah, other people can begin to feel that as well, especially in any type of team environment, family environment. Think about it with any type of injury or illness that um, as a family that one of your family members has to go through. If they are expressing like an overwhelming amount of external locus of control of like, we're doomed, I'm helpless, there's nothing I can do. We feel that. Like we're emotional beings. We can feel the feelings of other people. And again, if it goes beyond the point of it just happening once in a while and it becomes the daily narrative, well then yes, everyone in the home slowly begins to either believe that 
I am also helpless and hopeless and there's nothing I can do for myself or there's nothing I can ever do for you. And so in team sports, we see that happen in micro doses, but like quickly back and forth. (laughs) And I can just picture it. I've coached basketball quite a bit and specifically the age group of like 12 to 16 year old females. And it's a domino effect. If we are internal, we are internal. If we are external, holy cow, hold on because it's, it's over. Yeah. Everything is the other teams. Well, she elbowed me and she called me a name, right? (laughs) And so everything becomes external and pulling that back in as a coach is a nightmare. hundred percent. The last year that I coached and you know, I I know I've, I've shared, I think elements of this in in previous episodes, but what we had to tear down um, that year that we won provincials, we had to spend almost the entire season breaking down that external locus of control. And we knew it was going to be an issue because it was the parents and the actual, um, the club itself that was giving us a heads up to be like, hey, like these kids have not really known anything but losing season after losing season their entire life. So just, you know, brace yourself. So clearly the entire system around the the kids was an external locus of control that, you know, this is just what it is. The kids just aren't good enough. You know, it's going to be a losing season. So try to make, you know, something positive out of it. So we knew that if there was any chance of having success, we had to put all of our efforts towards breaking down that type of team mindset. And I mean, it literally took the entire season until right before playoffs where the team had a communal sense of internal locus of control. But you can't, build a culture of winning, a culture of productivity, a culture of of freedom, whatever you're focusing on, if they're in the base layer of that culture is that external locus of control. So perhaps when you look at your team that you're coaching or playing or your family or the environment that you're working on, and you know that the environment isn't great, it can be better. Think about this theory that we're talking about today. And maybe this is one of the main reasons why things aren't going as well as you know they're capable of being because it's kind of silent and and deadly (laughs) if it's unknown. And the mind as intelligent as it is, it also follows suit sometimes. Yeah. So using something as simple as a language shift Mm -hmm. can help with shifting that internally, even if you don't necessarily believe yourself, say it, right? Shift that to like, what do I have control over and verbalize that or help your athletes do that or your the people at your workplace. Totally. Right. right. Be, be an observer of yourself and of the people around you and try to take notes in when things aren't going well, what kind of language are people using? If it's very external and blaming all these other things um, as to why success isn't happening, then you have your answer. You know that there is like a team sense of it, there being an external locus of control. And there will be a lot of useful conversations, even just you simply Googling what this theory is and talking about it in your next team meeting or your next family meeting. Um, as a coach, like next time you're hanging out with the players, being like, hey, our bench gets really negative because we don't believe that we're capable of being able to push through this adversity because of maybe some of the history that we all have as former athletes. So this theory actually plays almost a daily role in terms of the language that we use to interpret the unforeseen or stressful situation. So 
thanks again for hanging out with us today. Um, we, uh, Kayla and I, uh, we're both very much excited to have these conversations without much of like a destination. So we hope that you guys enjoy either our excited or frenetic or random kind of pacing when we're talking about language and some of these theories, but we will all have the conversation kind of centered around this idea of locus of control for the next couple episodes. And, you know, anytime if there is a, a theory or a concept that you would like to learn more about or you are curious in terms of like how um, we would like respond to a situation that you're in fire an email comment um, on uh, our social media about our episodes and we'd be more than happy to to have ongoing conversations with you so again this is matt and kayla signing off for today and we thank you so much for hanging out with us 